Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of our hearts and minds be ever acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. John Wesley, um, part of his theology was, um, he emphasized about the concept of sanctification, that we, as Methodists, should ultimately aspire to be perfect. Now, we're quite a long way off that, some of us, I suspect, me definitely included in that. The idea being that we would ultimately end up as one of the saints. What does the concept of being a saint mean for you? Um, I, I need to probably warn you, I'm not necessarily an expert on this. I know this because a few years back at one of the local churches, there was a quiz night on All Saints Day, and every single round was related to the saints in some way, shape, or form. We got two out of ten on the round on Southampton Football Club, also known as the Saints, and naught out of ten on a round on Roger Moore, who played the Saint. Um, um, I had no idea where he was born and so on. So I'm not necessarily the expert here in all of this. What's your image of a Saint? Is it the halo, the white robe? Is it the one who's, it's all coupled with the holy face that people put on when they're doing their prayers. That one that, that you see on the nativity cards that the holy family produced, you know, where it's sort of mild constipation sort of look that, that seems to be there. Is that your understanding of what a saint is? I'm going to suggest one of the grave dangers facing Christian theology and one of the grave dangers facing congregations which have lots of academics in is that occasionally we might try and overcomplicate matters. I'm just going to throw that down as a potential challenge for us. The Christian faith, when you pare it back down, it is not intellectually difficult to comprehend. It really isn't. A child can get it, all right? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself, love your enemy. It's not difficult. Living it out, that's the tough bit, all right? Intellectually, really, you should all be able to comprehend it, okay? And, you know, wrestle with that and keep wrestling with it, but that's really the heart of what you need to know. And Jesus notices this with the scribe in our reading today. The context of the reading is that um, we are in Tuesday of Holy Week, at the time where Jesus has this conversation. On the Sunday, he's, he's gone in on his donkey, and he's, he's challenged the authorities then. He's gone in on the Monday, and he's turned over the tables of all of the money because he's concerned about the corruption. On the Tuesday, he goes in and he ends up in a series of arguments with the various authorities there, the religious authorities. And this is the final bit of all of that. Everyone else has been trying to trick him or trap him. 
They're trying to humiliate him in front of the crowd. And each time they fail to do so. And then this scribe, this teacher of the law comes up. And it's important to note that he's the first one who's not particularly confrontational with Jesus. Jesus did have some friends amongst the temple court and we remember, of course, Joseph of Arimathea, who, who uh, ultimately gives uh, the body uh, a tomb. And also Nicodemus, the, the only Irishman in the New Testament, um, is also um, mentioned as being a supporter of Jesus and part of that Sanhedrin, that, that inner circle. This scribe wants to have a sensible conversation. He wants to explore theology. He wants to wrestle with the actual meaning of life. And Jesus and him enter into a kind of rabbinic discussion. What is the greatest commandment? What, what is the ultimate way to heaven? What is the nature of heaven? What is the nature of eternal life? And Jesus and this scribe, both of them, have known their rabbinic discussions because Rabbi Hillel, about a century beforehand, talked with the rabbis at the time, and came up with the idea that you needed to, to pair Deuteronomy and Leviticus together, love God and love your neighbour as yourself, that the two were inextricably bound together. So often we misplace our energies. So often in the church over the years we have misplaced where we direct things. We keep talking about faith and we, we talk about that in a weird way that actually bears no relation to what faith actually is. And we completely fail too often to understand that the very basis of what we should be doing is love itself. If you want to follow God, you've got to love. If you want to be part of God's kingdom, you have got to love. This is non-negotiable, by the way. The scribe gets it, and Jesus notes his wisdom. To be wise is to understand the importance of love. But the scribe also recognizes, in that, that phrase where he talks about all of the sacrifices and so on, he recognizes that actually what was going on in the worship was irrelevant in comparison with the obligation to love itself. God wants true worship not the corruption of the temple where it maintains its collaboration with the Roman authorities and where the needy are trampled upon. And so Jesus says, you are close to the kingdom, to this man. Not in it, but close to it. He recognizes the importance of love. He's good at quoting scripture, and yet he holds back. He is not part of God's kingdom, yet he is not one of the saints. Why? Because he doesn't do anything with his knowledge. He doesn't do anything with his wisdom. When John Wesley talks about being perfect or being sanctified, it's because of the fact that we have deployed active wisdom, that love is an action that we need to be involved in. Now, I'm going to deploy a word that the student group heard on Thursday night, and it's a Greek word, and the word is splajnitsamai. Now, that one will get you about 155 points in Scrabble if you ever try and deploy it. Splajnitsamai. 
Now, that word is used on a number of occasions in the Gospels. The good Samaritan experiences Splajnitsmai when he sees the man lying on the ground. The prodigal son's father experiences Splajnitsmai when he sees his son far off. When Jesus gets out of the boat and he sees the 5,000 people in need and hungry, he experiences Splajnitsmai for them. Now, the word Splajnitsmai kind of means compassion, but at that time, people didn't believe that compassion or love was based in the heart. But here, in the guts, okay? So it's almost as if the person experiencing Splanchnitsumai experiences a kind of bowel movement, all right, of compassion. But it's where it's gut-wrenching. So when you see... Uh, children in need and the, the stories of, of those in need or, or um, Christian Aid sends you a letter or those things where you're, on the, uh, you're watching the TV and you get that charity for Action Aid or Oxfam and the story they're coming up with is so horrendous and you are compelled to action. You're, you almost cannot be yourself any longer unless if you respond to that need. You are not fully you, unless if you respond to that need. Jesus experiences it on a number of occasions. Also when he's addressing to the man next to him on the cross. Where your compassion compels you to act. Splajnitsmai. And that is the basis of being a saint where it's not that you know it up here, it's not there, it's where everything of you is forced to act. Because the injustice that you have seen is so wrong you have to deal with it. I want you to think of those in your life who have nurtured you in your faith. But think about maybe those who weren't necessarily the overt ones, but the ones who quietly you knew were there supporting you, those ones who their example, the ones who got that actually faith needs to be lived out, not the ones that you had growing up who, who could quote the Bible at you very well, but rather those who silently and quietly went about doing that which was good and true and noble. They are the saints that in our silence today, I want you to give thanks for. I have so many growing up. I think one of the benefits of the Methodist Church is that actually it was those quiet ones in the congregation who you could go to and you knew you were going to get a piece of wisdom from them and that they would be tolerant enough with some mad little Cub Scout running around that they would support and nurture. But it was more by their example that I learned more from them about what it was to be a Christian. And I'm sure each of us can think of those people Today it's right that we give thanks for them. But I'm going to put the challenge down to you today. How much are you an example of splajnitsumai or saintliness to others? Those young people out there, how good are we at nurturing them, of being models of saintliness to them so that they too can become part of the communion of saints with us? 
how much are you a model of what it really is to get into the kingdom of God, to get into heaven. Let us be people whom others can tell just by the way we are, that we are not near to God's kingdom, but actually in it. Let's not be known for wisdom, although wisdom is not necessarily a bad thing, but let's be known for our compassion. Let us be known for the fact that we truly get and live out God's kingdom on a daily basis. And in doing that, we are part of the communion of saints, those whom we rejoice in the, all they taught us, we then follow on their example and continue that process day by day. So my prayer for us for this week is that we think about what example we produce for others and try better and try harder to truly live out that compassion day by day. Amen.